The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherlist podcast network. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And Pete, we are we're in the heat of the Major League Baseball offseason. We've got, you know, deadlines for guys to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. The non-tender deadline was today. We're recording this on Friday, November 18th. You'll all be listening to it on Monday, the was that the 21st, something like that. Yeah, the 21st. The big news today is probably just the Cody Bellinger non-tender, which, I don't know, doesn't seem that surprising. Seems like a thing that had to be done. Well, how could that be the big news when Isaiah Kiner-Falefa signs for one year, six million, and the Reds acquired Kevin Newman? The stove is hot right now. The Reds acquired Kevin Newman after trading Kyle Farmer to the Twins, who traded Gio Urshela to the Angels. There's like... You know, the mid-tier infielders moving all over the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Farmer coming off a nice little season. And, and you know, the Urshela one is definitely interesting to me. He's now going to Phil Nevin, who apparently loves him. And uh, it yeah. could mean interesting things for Anthony Rendon. If Urshela's shortstop, then I guess it's not a big deal. But be interested to see how the dominoes yeah. fall there. I also but think yeah, these, the- are, these are all deals that, like, they don't change a whole lot. Like, Urshela, Urshela is probably starting somewhere for the angels, but where that is and how much he maybe moves around based on other injuries they have and stuff remains to be seen. I saw somebody tweet at Brandon Warren. I don't know if you know, Brandon Warren, he covers the the twins. Good Twitter follow. Someone tweeted at him like, Oh, this farmer deal sounds like it's going to be an L on us trying to get Correa back. And it's like, no farmers, <laughs> like a utility guy. That's fine. Like I actually like, I really like farmer as a fit for the twins because with, with Urshela out now, Presumably, you know, Miranda moves back to third base. Arise could be at second, depending on what's going on with Jorge Polanco's health and what they do at shortstop. And then they've got Royce Lewis. And Farmer's just a nice guy to sort of, you put him on the bench. And if any of those guys are struggling, if any of those guys get hurt, if any of those guys need a day off, you can just slot him in wherever he's needed. I I think it's it's a, a quietly nice little pickup for them. For sure, and they, they've dealt with injury problems. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to be taking Royce Lewis everywhere, but it's it, it is a nice depth piece, like you said, and I, I something that kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. Something that you just said, Miranda 
potentially gaining third base eligibility going forward in your long-term leagues. That's huge because I like him a lot and third base is, we've talked about it a lot. That is a thin position. Yeah. And it looked like he was going to be first base only. You know, I think in some formats, he's going to have multiple positions this year anyways, but for next year, it was looking like, you know, long-term he was going to lose that, but nope, looks like he'll presumably move over there. Although they don't really have anyone to play first base either. So I think it's just early in the off season and we'll just have to see what they do and how they do it before we, before we know for sure. But the other thing, the other baseball news, I I guess this is baseball news. The other big baseball milestone that was hit for this off season is the initial steamer projections were released. And that's actually the first thing we want to talk about today. We got a couple of things, auto new arbitration finished up, which means that the keeper cut listener league Trades opened up in that format, and the stove was hot right away there. There were, let's see, two, four, six, eight trades that happened, and it's been three days. <laughs> That's it. We only had three days, and eight trades have happened. So hopefully we'll get some time to talk about some of those. But I think the first thing we want to talk about and thing we want to spend some time on is there's some interesting stuff in the steamer projections. There always are. And I think it's worth discussing, especially as people are thinking about trades they might want to make in the offseason, about keepers they might want to be deciding about. There's some names that I think are fascinating. We can dive into those. Sounds good to me. I mean, I, and, and Chad, I know you got your your list, but I wanted to bring one up to you right off the bat before we dive into those. And sure. That was it, it's the first thing that stood out to me. Um, Because I I actually heard about the projections being released on another podcast. I didn't know they had dropped yet. And, you know, I heard about the Acuna projection and all sorts of stuff like that. But, you know, who's projected to have the eighth most played appearances on Steamer, on the Steamer projections? Mike Trout. Oh, interesting. One thing I will note on the Steamer projections is I believe, I could be wrong, I believe they pull playing time projections, innings pitch, played appearances, games played from the Fangraphs depth charts that's filled out as part of the roster resource stuff on Fangraphs. So that is not a, I don't believe that's a computer generated projection. That is a human saying they think that, which is still fascinating. And and I think it's a, it becomes an interesting thing to keep in mind that if you're, you know, it's true of all these projections, but like if you're thinking about values of players, if you're using an auction calculator or creating your own values or just looking at rankings of players based on projections, you need to look at those playing time projections because they, right. they matter a lot. Someone the other day in the auto news Slack asked a question about Justin Viber makes his surplus calculator. He put out the first version of the surplus calculator for the offseason as well. And someone was asking why Willie Adamas and Luis Urias were $10 apart in value, despite being 0.002 apart in WOBA. And WOBA being a you know, weighted on base, like in, in Fangraph's points leagues, I don't know points leagues, you're you're effectively using a WOBA-based scoring system. It's not exact, but it's close enough. And there's a few reasons that they're different, you know, Adamus has more power, which plays up in the format, things like that. But the biggest difference is that Adamus is projected for about 75 more plate appearances in like five or six more games. And those those extra plate appearances per game, when in auto new value is really derived on sort of a points per game basis. If if you have two guys who have the same WOBA 
it means they're going to produce the same amount per plate appearance. If one of them is getting an extra plate appearance every game, they're going to be a lot more valuable. So anytime you're looking at player values, thinking about ranking stuff like this based on projections right now, like take that minute, go check it out. Because Trout, I mean, like you mentioned, he, what did you say? He was eighth in plate appearances. It's crazy. Right. I mean, he is seventh, tied for sixth, actually. He's tied for sixth with Kyle Tucker in projected WOBA. So on a rate basis, he shows up as a top 10 hitter. That's not a surprise. And I, I don't think anybody's going to, you know, maybe you think he's more like top 15 instead of top 10, like whatever. But like no one's going to really quibble with the fact that Mike Trout on a per plate appearance basis, a per game basis is going to be excellent. But if you're going to value him as, you know, a top eight hitter, which is what this is doing, basically you need to decide how much you're willing to rely on getting that 677 plate appearances. Because if you think he's only going to get, let's say, 450 plate appearances, that's going to knock down his value quite a bit. So it's a good a good call out. Man, 677. That's 6, yeah. Yeah, 677. I'm looking at pulling up his, his player page now. Like He hasn't had 677 plate appearances in a season since 2016. <laughs> but uh yeah yeah i don't know i i I get that it's it's a human looking at that but even if that's the case and it's not computer generated i mean i guess i just disagree i don't i don't know where you could possibly come up with that number given the track record and if he if he does reach that plate appearance total what in his production when he's been healthy would suggest that his numbers are going to dip in the way that they're suggesting there Right. I mean, like, yeah, I think 256, it's Mike Trout. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I think part of that is projections are always by their nature conservative. They always miss the top guys. And I, I don't necessarily mean they always miss the top guys like they always miss Trout. They always miss Soto. They always miss Judge. Like what I what I mean is literally like whoever whoever leads the majors. So let's, let's put it this way. The top projected home run total. Do you know what the top projected home run total is from Steamer this year? Like the the number of the top home yeah. run hitter, it's, it's Aaron Judge. I mean, Judge, like that's not a surprise. They, they project Judge forty two. Okay, I can no, I don't know. I actually think that's probably a fine projection for Aaron Judge. I would be very surprised if somebody doesn't hit more than forty two. It might not be Judge, but someone's probably going to get more than forty two. And, and the and what ends up happening with any projection system is because it's conservative by nature and it's looking at sort of a median outcome for these guys, it misses the outliers. And it's always going to miss the outliers. And that's that's a you know that's a feature, not a bug. But that often means that guys who are just consistently putting up insane numbers, the the projections tend to skew a little low. The exception to that is Juan Soto, who for whatever reason, they just, Soto is just a, he's on another level (laughs) and and even the projections recognize it. So, but as we're talking about, you know, Trout being tied for sixth in Woba, I think one of the, let's go to my, my first sort of fact that I noticed for six, eight, I want to make sure I'm right about this. Yeah. So the top 10, I'm going to read off to you the top 10 projected Wobas by Steamer. Don't think there's any surprises here. If you want to debate any of them, we can. But Juan Soto is first. Fernando Tatis Jr. being second does surprise me a little bit, but we can come back to him later. Tatis is second. Alvarez, Jordan Alvarez third. Vlad Guerrero Jr. fourth. Aaron Judge, 
Kyle Tucker and Mike Trout are tied, as I said. Freddie Freeman and Bryce Harper tied behind them. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. rounds out the top 10. That's not what I wanted to ask you about, though. What I wanted to ask you about is, who do you think is 11th? Out uh, of the names that you... Did you say Pete Alonzo? I have not mentioned Alonzo, but he is not 11th. He is 13th. So he's, okay. he's a little bit behind this guy. Uh, Give you a hint. This guy is also a first baseman. So you're on the right position. Like first base eligible, or is he a full-time first baseman? He's a first baseman. Okay. Uh, there's no way they would put Jose Abreu there. Did you, oh, oh, you didn't say Goldschmidt. I didn't say Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt is a couple spots behind Alonzo. He's at, I think, 16th. Okay. This is and not you, Goldie. And you said Freeman and you said Vlad. Yep. Tristan Cassis, baby. <laughs> you know, you're not that far off, but you'll, you'll be sad to know it's not the right relatively young, recently debuted American League first baseman. So then it, it's, it's Pasquantino. Yeah. 11th. Okay. Steamer has Vinny Pascantino as the 11th highest WOBA projection. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, I also like, on the one hand, I'm like, that seems crazy. And on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know. I'm looking at his numbers and like, I mean, last year, so, you know, he had 298 plate appearances as a rookie. He hit 295, 383, 450. Okay. So he was really good. He walked 11.7% of the time and only struck out 11.4%. So he walked more than he struck out. Now, so when I when I start to pull up what is being projected here, first of all, they're projecting his walk rate to be relatively similar, but down a bit. Like I said, he was 11.7% last year. They're saying 11.0 next year. They're not projecting him to walk more than he struck out again. They're projecting his strikeout rate to go up to 13.4%. Now, 13.4% is certainly not high, but this is a guy who in 2021 had an 11% strikeout rate in AA. He then was 12.5% in AAA last year before being 11.4% in that major league debut. It's like 13.4% is, I think, a fair estimate for you know him, him having a harder time with the majors this time through. He had a 306 bat pip last year. They're projecting him for 284. None of that seems totally crazy to me. The big jump is in his ISO. He had a 155 ISO. Steamer's projecting a 215. It seems to be almost entirely based, I think, on home run per fly ball rate. His home run per fly ball rate in the mind. Now, Steamer doesn't show a home run per fly ball rate projection, as far as I can tell. If I'm missing it somewhere, someone can let me know. But he had an 11.1% home run per fly ball rate last year. He was 18.9% in AAA, 16.2% in AA. It is not a super high home run per fly ball rate, but the 11.1% does seem surprisingly low. He put up a 450 slugging percentage last year, but his ex-SLG was 476. So it's not crazy to think that he's got some home run per fly ball rate regression, positive regression, good kind of regression coming to him. And when you sort of put that all together, like, Yes, there is always risk with any second year player that they're going to just go through a sophomore slump. The league's going to adjust. The numbers are going to get like all that could happen. But there's nothing in this projection that jumps out at me as like, no, he can't do that. That's not reasonable. Like 
it's all like it's a slight step step back in on base and a slight step forward in slugging, especially compared to his X slugging. It's just you know it's a step up, but not huge. So yeah, I have a I don't know. I, I have a hard time arguing with it. As much as it seems crazy to me to put him eleventh, to have him above Goldie, above Pete Alonso, above even above Matt Olson. But there he is. Yeah, I, so it's one of those things where, like, yes, in a in a vacuum, you tell me those numbers. Like, could Vinny Pasquantino do this? Of course, he could do that. Like, I, and I don't think anybody would necessarily push back. But there's a difference between saying I think he could do this versus this is what I'm going to project him for. And I feel like projecting him for those stats is just is, is really aggressive, right? It's 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 assuming that we can just take his 70 plate appearances from last year and basically extrapolate them over an entire season when it was 300 be... plate appearances almost last year. Right, it wasn't just seventy, so that's part of it, right? Sure, but like three hundred one season, it's even six hundred plate period. We're talking one season now, extrapolating those just over an, another season after pitchers have an opportunity to adjust. Like, look, I'm a fan of the guy. I roster him in a lot of spots, but it's just aggressive. So the the follow up is, well, what do we do with this information? Because if we look at this projection and we agree with this projection, then we should be drafting him as a top five first baseman. And I don't know if anybody's going to have the guts to do that. So. I guess the follow-up is what now, right? Like, okay, we project him to be better, at least underlying than Paul Goldschmidt. Who's going to take him before Paul Goldschmidt? No, no, I do think uh, it's for, for our listeners in their, their keeper leagues. Like the big takeaway here is his keeper price should be great, right? He should have been cheap last year. He should be very keepable. He is a great off-season trade target, or if you already have him, he's a great option for one of your keepers. Now, in terms of where I would take him, I mean, I, I've now filtered this down to just looking at first baseman. You know, I don't think anyone's taking him before Vlad or Freddie Freeman. They are ahead of him. The guys after him in Steamer by Woba, I'm going to read through these. You tell me, would you take them before or after Vinny? Okay. Ready? Yeah. Pete Alonso. Before. Goldschmidt before Matt Olson before Nathaniel Lowe. Honestly, if I'm being honest with myself after you would take Lowe after Pascantino. I think so. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I'm going to have Lowe anyway. Okay. Tristan Cassis. <laughs> after <laughs> Jose Abreu. Uh, I think, I think I'll have another season of before for Jose Abreu. Okay. Yeah, then, I mean, then you get into like Rowdy Telez, Josh Naylor, Luis Arise, Anthony Rizzo, Ty France, Josh Bell. Uh, no, uh, I'd take Vinny before Josh Bell. Yeah. So I think I think that's sort of that that's probably getting into the right group is that it's, you know, Vlad and Freeman, Alonzo, Goldie and Olsen before him. That's what five guys before him. And then you get into a mix of guys like Abreu and Lowe and it gets a little bit iffier with with Pascantino. But. He absolutely looks like a good value here. The other thing I would note about his his steamer projection is they only project him for 130 games and 558 plate appearances. That's so if weird. you start throwing these projections into a auction calculator or something like that, it's going to undervalue him a bit because like just as an example, it has him with 24 home runs and Freddie Freeman with 25. But if Vinny gets 
the extra 117 plate appearances that Freddie Freeman's getting, he's going to be pushing 30 home runs instead of 24. If you really believe this projection, then you know his value is going to be great in drafts and, and certainly great as a keeper. Yeah, there, there's no question about the keeper price for me. I, yeah. I have him, I want to say, in the staff league and... Like I, I, I have to look and see how hard I got hit in arbitration because I haven't been able to look. But he is he's absolutely a, a hold and and I think you said it well, buy him in the offseason. But am I gonna treat him as an equal to Paul Goldschmidt based on these projections? No chance. Yeah. So I'm I'm in, in league one for Otto New. I have Pascantino cheap under ten dollars. I can't remember how much exactly. I also have like a twenty-eight dollar Goldschmidt and a twenty-seven dollar Reese Hoskins or something. And I'm thinking I'm going to trade both Hoskins and Goldschmidt this offseason and use those dollars elsewhere and just roll with Pascantino as my first baseman. So that, just, that I could also keep fine strategy. I'd probably hold Goldie yeah. and trade Hoskins. That's, I, well, I, I could keep Goldie and I could use one as my util and one as my first baseman. Like I could keep them both, but we'll see. We'll see. So let's look at another sort of interesting finding let's see so i'm going to take a look at stolen base projections those you know as we know in five by five leagues those matter a lot wow that was really weird i forgot that i was filtered down to first baseman and i was like nobody's going to steal more than nine bases that can't be right but (laughs) anyways overall for stolen bases so this time the guy that i'm sort of surprised by is tied for fifth so your, your top guys in stolen bases, Ron Lacuna Jr. with 36, Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo each with 30, Adalberto Mondesi with 29, John Birdie with 28, and that's only in 438 plate appearances, by the way. So John Birdie with 28, and then there's somebody tied with Birdie in fifth with 28 stolen bases. Any guesses? I know that the Tatis projection was kind of crazy. Is it him? No, he was at 20 stolen bases. So his, the, the funny thing is, I think his like overall line is sort of crazy, but like 20 stolen bases for him actually seems totally fine. <laughs> so yeah. that wasn't it. It's a it's an Arizona outfielder. And it's it's not Varsha, so McCarthy. It's not Varsha. It is McCarthy. And it's not Carroll. I, I was sort of like Oh yeah, Jesus it didn't even cross right? my mind. <laughs> no. And actually, Carol, I'm, I'm trying to see where Carol is in stolen bases. I think he's in like the mid to low teens, maybe. 14 for Corbin Carroll is the projection on him. It's Jake McCarthy. And like, I knew McCarthy had a good run last year, right? He had, he had a solid season. I didn't realize that he stole 23 bases in 99 games. His speed is like looking at that. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, projecting him for 28 stolen bases in 141 games isn't actually anything crazy. I just don't think I realized what a what a speed threat he was. Yeah, I definitely didn't either. Stolen bases is I mean, you know how I am with stolen bases. I can't stand the freaking category. It's why (laughs) one of the reasons why I play head to head categories where I really don't have to deal with it. Right. I kind of worry as crazy as it sounds because it's the Arizona Diamondbacks and they're they're not a good baseball team at the moment. But I, I'm a little concerned about the playtime and like I, I have a hard time seeing him meet even even when you look at the fact that, like you said, he really didn't play all that much last year. Obviously, he did down the stretch, but we're talking about, you know, 
about 350 plate appearances and he still managed to get 23 stolen bases. But I guess that's where it, it comes into question again, where like, okay, so what are we going to do with this information? Cause it's definitely interesting that they project him to have the fifth most steals in baseball, but how much are you willing to pay for that? If it's that many steals, but just in 400 plate appearances, is that something that you're willing to pay up for in drafts just to get that one category? Because he's not that great of a hitter. And he didn't show much in the field last year. He doesn't have a strong arm. So if that does affect his playtime, you're literally just rostering a guy for one category. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But if I am in like a draft and hold league, then yeah, I'm going to I'm going to prioritize maybe Jake McCarthy a little bit. I'm curious what his average value is in new where in most formats, the stolen base stolen bases doesn't really matter that much to begin with. And with him not bringing much more to the table, maybe you can kind of sneakily get him and if you're in a new five by five and his value isn't as appreciated on that platform i don't know but yeah i don't i I don't really know what to do with that information on jake mccarthy his average value overall on i don't know two five dollar medium salary okay but keep in mind that like everybody's salaries just went up by two bucks at the end of the season plus arbitration just happened he might have picked up i think he did pick up some some arbitration numbers here and there so you know five dollars is still pretty good if i if i filter it down i'm curious if i filter it down to five by five because i can do that his median salary in five by five is it looks like it's about the same so yeah he's he he isn't valued meaningfully differently in five by five for auto new as anywhere else. And I should say his price isn't different. It doesn't mean he's not valued differently, but you know, he may be harder to trade for, uh, but he's, yeah, he's an, he's an interesting guy. I do think like, I really like McCarthy. I think that his, he had, a, he had a, he had a solid offensive season last year. He wasn't like a star by any means, except for the stolen bases, but he was, he was very solid. He projects for, you know, a 258 average, 325 on base, 15 home runs, like, solid season solid season i do think that the playing time of that and that outfield is going to be fascinating because like you know that corbin carroll is going to play you know that dalton varsha is going to play and then you got to figure out where everyone else sort of fits and i i don't the know brand new fits, uh so. kyle lewis coming into kyle town. lewis i have to think kyle lewis is only going to dh like i can't imagine trading for him and then trying to put him in the outfield he just hasn't been he can't. He hasn't shown he can stay healthy. But I don't know. Right? Yeah. I, it's Alec Thomas too. I mean, he was the most disap- one of the most disappointing yeah. prospects in a in a period of time where there's been a lot of disappointing prospects. Alec Thomas was like atrocious. Um, so yeah. I I think there's a good chance he spent some time in the minor leagues. But if he does start with the club or he has a good spring, there's another guy that could be in the way of Jake McCarthy. Kind of a similar skill set at least um, when it comes to offensive firepower yeah. so and I, I think they'd be more they want alec thomas to win that job over jake mccarthy i'd imagine so uh, I, I think, think it's, so. it's a tough spot yeah we'll talk more about mccarthy later because i mentioned all those trades that went down in our listener league and he was one of them but there was another stolen base projection that i was surprised by and we'll talk about that in a minute but first let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor all right, welcome back. We were talking about surprising steamer projections. I was talking about stolen base projections. 
And here is the other surprising stolen base. And this is surprising the other direction. Is Steamer is projecting Trey Turner for a career low 23 stolen bases. New rules. Bases are closer together. Pitchers can't pick you off. And yeah. Now, calling that a career low is a little bit misleading. I mean, he had two stolen bases in 2015, but he only had 44 plate appearances. That was his rookie season when he sort of barely debuted, got a cup of coffee with Washington. In 2020, he only stole 12 bases, but you know, prorate that out to a full season of 162 games instead of 60 games, and he easily would have had more than 23, probably would have been right around 30. But other than that, going back to 2016, 33, 46, 43, 35, 32, it went down to 27 last year. And now Steamer is saying, eh, just 23. That's really bizarre. And I was going to have a serious bone to pick with it until you brought up the fact that he just had 27 last year. So I was going to ask, what are they projecting for his plate appearances? Because I assume the plate appearances are going to be somewhere close to 700. He hit the 708 plate appearance mark last season and only had 27 stolen bases. That is really surprising. I don't know how much of that was a philosophical thing with the Dodgers or, or what was going on there, but he could find himself in a new home. I actually think it's it's probably pretty likely he's going to find himself in a new home. I expect the Dodgers to make a run at him, but it seems like they might be prioritizing Aaron Judge based on some headlines that I was reading today, which is kind of terrifying in and of itself. But all kind of besides the point, you were, you were reading off these projections, and I'm like, man, it's Trey Turner. He's not only going to steal 23 stolen bases and 700 plate appearances, but when you look at 27 in, in 700 plate appearances last year, I guess it kind of makes sense. But it, it's really going to depend on the team's approach and how much of a role these new bases have, because there's no question in my mind that when Trey Turner, if Trey Turner decides like, you know what? No, I'm going to be running this year. Then he's going to have 40 plus stolen bases and probably lead baseball. Like the skill is still there. So this is a really hard thing to project, but I at least understand the 23, even though I'd probably project him for more. Yeah. I mean, my, my guess would be, you know, this is just a guess, right? But like his rate of stolen bases since going to DC to from DC, since leaving DC, going to LA has gone down. So, you know, we said in with the Nats, he stole 12 and 59 games in 2020. He was up 35, 43, 46 years before that. In 2021, he had 420 plate appearances, 96 games, stole 21 bases. And then after the trade, had just 11 steals and 226 plate appearances. It's similar, but a little bit of a lower rate. It doesn't sound like a significantly lower rate, except his on-base percentage went up from a 369 to a 385 after the trade. So it was slightly more than half his season and, or sorry, slightly more than half as much time. And he was on base a decent amount more often and still stole less. And so it's it does seem like being in LA has has slowed him down a little. And I imagine that's a couple of things. One would be he was probably on first with guys on second more often than he would have been in, in with the Nats. Uh, the other is that LA may choose to run less. I don't know a lot about their, you know, philosophically, but they're an analytically minded team. But on top of that, like the guys hitting behind him were good enough that like 
why would you have him run that much? Like, it doesn't make sense for him to run that much. Plus, you're, you know, a bunch of games that they're winning by a bunch of runs. Like, there's a lot of reasons that would make sense. And anywhere else he goes, he's going to have a worse lineup behind him and, and in front of him, which means he'll have more opportunities to steal and less sort of less reason to just wait for a home run or a double to drive him in. He'll probably anywhere else he goes, be playing in less blowouts where he won't run because, you know, game situation dictates he not run. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think this is, I, I would take the over on his 27 from last year. I would agree. Like, with I think that, that that's, I, I would also note last year, by the way, and, and this may be part of it. He has a 355 career OBP his last two years in DC he was 394 and 375 375 including his time in LA in 2021 he was down to 343 last year steamers projecting him for 339 that would also almost be a career low he had a 338 in 2017 so you know part of this is that steamer sees him getting on base less than ever before and I just, I don't know. I i don't see it. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think his, I don't think it makes sense to project him to go back to like a 370 on base percentage necessarily. But I don't see why you would project him at three under 340 when that's something he hasn't done since 2017. And it's not like he's, you know, 35 years old. He's 29. Yeah. So... And- Age shouldn't even be coming into play at all. Only four right. guys in all of baseball had a faster sprint speed than him. Corbin Carroll, Bubba Thompson, Jose Siri, and Bobby Wood Jr. And it's not like there's a, it's not a straight line, the correlation between sprint speed and stolen bases, obviously, but like it proves that it's still in this guy's wheelhouse. He's one of the best base runners in baseball. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. So I, I the on base dip, I'm with you. It seems too drastic. And even if I, I wonder how much of that, I don't know if these, I don't know if steamer or these other projection companies like, do they factor in like, okay, well still players stolen base totals their first time with a new team. Like what's that like? And you know, is it historically lower, but that is such a, that's going to be such a different statistic from player to player and from team to team that I I don't know how much that would really apply here. I'm with you. I'm taking the over on 27. Yeah, I, I agree. So I agree with you agreeing with me, I guess, is what I'm saying, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> I, I agree. It's true, I do. <laughs> so let's look at some other couple more things on the offensive side. And we can look at a couple pitchers as well. I was looking at combined home runs and stolen bases. And there, Steamer projects a combined 67 homers and steals for Ronald Acuna Jr. with no one else over 57. The two guys over 50, the two guys at 57 are J-Rod and Tatis. And then there's a handful of others that are over 50. Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez, Shohei Otani, Kyle Tucker, Sed Mullins, and Bobby Witt Jr. are all over 50 home runs plus steals. My big question among those guys is, and this goes back to when we were looking at the top 10 bats by Woba and called out that Tatis was second. This is, I mean, this is like a straight up MVP caliber season from Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> Coming back from all his injury issues and a suspension and like, you know, going on a year and a half, two years off of baseball 
and missing the start of the season such that they're only really projecting him for they're projecting him for 552 plate appearances in 125 games and yet getting to 37 home runs, 20 stolen bases and just elite elite overall offensive performance. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I don't really know what to make of that. Um I I'm on the side that would tend to agree with an aggressive prediction for Fernando Tatis Jr. because he's just continued to show that even playing while hurt, let forget about when he's healthy, which is obviously one of the best players in the sport, but even playing while hurt, he puts up crazy fantasy numbers. I, but the, the thing that gives me pause isn't so much the suspension and the time off because like, I, I just think he's that good. Like I think he can come back and just be awesome again. It might, maybe it takes him a few weeks to get his feet under him. That's what spring training's for. Although I, he, is he going to be able to participate in spring training? I mean, obviously. Right. And then the suspensions, regular season games. I don't think so. Cause I think you're not okay. allowed to be participating in team activities while you're suspended. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so, either way, then yeah. maybe, you know, uh, he'll get a rehab stint or whatever the case. Right. I'm not worried about him getting his feet under him. I'm a little concerned about the left shoulder surgery, right? I mean, it, it's shoulder yeah. surgery. Like, I'm not saying I'm expecting him to be a disaster or for his career to fall apart, but, you know, it, it's hard to give an aggressive projection for a player who is coming off of major shoulder surgery, even if it, if he has a lot of time to recover since that surgery. So, like, for me, it's it's not even about the suspension, the time off any of that stuff it's purely this dude's coming off a pretty serious surgery and i don't know if i can project him for those numbers especially because teams regardless of what the injury is are usually pretty hesitant to let a player run loose on the bases ronald acuna jr last year is kind of the exception and that's because he even said that his legs feel stronger than ever before because that's what he was rehabbing fernando tatis jr is not rehabbing his legs and and they might want to be a little cautious with him yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how they they handle him in general because the team has not seemed outwardly very pleased with him, right? I mean, like other players were commenting on him needing to mature and and stuff like that. So it's going to be, it'll just be interesting to see like how they bring him along. Do they just let him run wild? Like I can easily see a situation where a manager like Bob Melvin is like, you don't get the green light until you sort of earn your way back in the team's good graces and, that can impact his steals. It shouldn't impact his bat, but I don't know. I I mean, I guess this is this is a question for you: Is are you how early are you taking him in drafts? And I guess as as related to that question is, you have him in a keeper league. What's the keeper cost? you're comfortable with let's let's talk about in terms of draft round what's the keeper cost you're comfortable with so uh, in terms of draft round I, th- this is actually going to be the case in both redraft and for keepers in head-to-head category leagues i'm going to be more likely to take him earlier i'm going to be more likely to keep him because if i can stay afloat until i get him back then i have full strength for Nano Tatis Jr. whereas in roto i just know that i'm going to miss so many games for my starting shortstop and that hurts more i think with that said, in redraft, I'll, I'd probably take him late second round. I think in a keeper league, I, I especially if it's a if it's a categories league where stolen bases are just so hard to find, and I can't stand them to begin with, I'll keep him with a third rounder. Um, I, and I guess I'd be tempted with a second. I don't see why I w- if I'm willing to draft him with a second and redraft, I should like him more in longer term leagues because he's so young. So maybe I'd I'd use a second on him to keep him. Do you know what his ADP is in NFPC right now? I don't actually know. 
Uh, I have no idea. I'm sort of curious because I I don't think I don't think I would want to use a second on him. So his ADP in drafts since October 1st, basically since the end of the season, is he's got the 23rd. It is his ADP is actually 25th, but it's the 23rd lowest ADP. So it is a in a 12 teamer right at the end of the second round. In a in a fifteen team or more, like the middle of the second round, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm using a pick there on him. I think I'd keep him with a third or fourth, and I think I would pick him around that same point. I I don't know. Maybe maybe if I had a late second, I'd be like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm just look at the others around him, and maybe I'm okay with that. But yeah, man, for me, I, looking it feels at risky. It does, but look at looking specifically at the current NBC NFBC rankings, and this is probably based on like what, like nine drafts or something. I right. to me, like he after him is a teardrop for me. I mean, I I love Alcantara, but like there's pitching just feels deeper than it has in in years. So I, I don't really want to take a pitcher with one of my first two picks. And then the next hitter off the board, Michael Harris Jr. Like, I'm not ready to take him that high yet. And then you got Goldschmidt, who, sure. I mean, I'm still in on Paul Goldschmidt, but I feel like you're you're paying for a career season at that point. Lindor, guys like that. Uh, To me, like, there's an upside drop-off there. Like, Tatis, Trout, Riley are those three most recent hitters. And to me, they just have much higher ceilings than the guys going after them. So I, I actually think he's in a pretty good spot after these first couple of drafts. For me, anyway. Yeah, I do think it's it's worth keeping in mind that like he is the only guy you're going to get at this point. You know, maybe maybe make a case for Trout as well, but like he's offering you like not just first round upside, but like number one overall pick upside. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not sure I want to bank on that. I still think I'd 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 be more comfortable with a third than a second, but I I can see where you're coming from. Look, and keep in mind too, this is the NFPC, all these are roto leagues, right? So I, I'd be less yeah. likely to take him that high. But in head to head, I'd I'd consider it for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. So the other guy I wanted to talk about on the offensive side of things, because it's a it's a rule that we have to talk about him at least once an episode, and that's O'Neill Cruz. <laughs> I was and... wondering which guy this is gonna be, Josh Bell. <laughs> <laughs> could, could be Adamus, could yeah, some guys. Yep. But well, we already got those two out of the way. Projecting that's true. They are projecting a 27% strikeout rate for Cruz. That's Whoa. after he was at 34.9% last year. They're also projecting an 8.7% walk rate, which would be an increase from the 7.8% last year, which all contributes to a 26-point gain in on-base percentage, a 22-point gain in slugging percentage, and a 21-point gain in WOBA. Like it's a It's a big jump forward, and it's... If that actually happens, like let's look at his his WOBA projection is it's out it's like 40th or something like that in baseball. It might be lower than that. Well, it's lower than I thought actually. It looks like it's going to be about 65th, 66, something like that. But that's a it still is a big step forward. So it's sort of interesting because like I was sort of thinking, wow, that seems like a crazy jump for him. But it doesn't really move him up to some like elite tier of production, except that 27 home runs and 19 stolen bases 
is is some pretty special fantasy numbers. Yeah, for me with Cruz, it, it all comes down to that strikeout rate. And so if, you, if you're projecting him for a 27% strikeout rate, then I would have those counting stats much higher. You know, we kind of joked about it at the end of the season. I said, hey, man, O'Neill Cruz hasn't struck out in five straight games. And it was like, you know, all right, it's five games. But you look at the plate discipline numbers, if, if you just boil plate discipline to, to strike out to walks. He made strides um, during the season last year. He he was adjusting on the fly. You go month by month. Uh, it, in both June and July, the walk rate was four and a half. That jumped up to 10.3% in August, and he kind of held it in September with a 9.2 rate. And then, you know, the strikeout rate was bad in all those months, but it, it goes all the way down to 29.8 in October, which is not great, but is infinitely better than the 42% mark he posted in August. So, I mean, we're really nitpicking here because we're looking at one month at a time for a player who just frankly has strikeout problems. But that's what it comes down to, right? If O'Neill Cruz has all the, all the raw ability. So if the strikeout rate goes down and he's putting balls in play, those balls are going to be going really fast yeah. and over fences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think this is, again, from a keeper perspective, like if you have him at a low cost, he's definitely a keeper. I think the challenging thing with Cruz is I'm not sure how much he's raised his value from last year, right? Like all the things we're saying about him now were sort of true last year. And because of that cup of coffee at the end of the 2020 season or at the end of 2021 season, his draft value, like there's a lot of assumption he'd be up for almost all of 2022. And so people were, people were going early on him. And as a result, I think keeper costs might be a little bit tougher than you would expect, because I think we're still sort of in a similar spot with him this year as we were a year ago saying all the, you know, all the right pieces are there. He could be great. And he hasn't really shown it yet enough to say like, okay, now he's, you know, definitively a second round value or something like that. Like he hasn't done that by any means. No. So it'll be interesting to see, like, I think his keeper value is going to heavily vary league to league. And I think there's gonna be a lot of leagues where he's not a keeper because the price is just too high because his, the hype was too big last year. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. I expect his ought new cost to be kind of all over the place on a league to league basis you know maybe people who have held on and didn't really have to pay much for him to begin with he probably avoided a lot of arbitration dollars this time around so i think there's going to be people who have him pretty cheap um but if he goes to auction you know i think there's going to be people like myself who continue to look at the upside and will pay up top dollar to get him i was just on on the corner with nick actually two days ago to go over the pl mock 2023 that we did and we talked about shortstop and there was this just massive drop off that happens and so i think managers and keeper leagues if they find themselves on the outside looking in at shortstop and O'Neill Cruz is available and most of the shortstops are off the board because they've been kept. And I, I think he's going to be a pretty pricey player regardless. Like if you're keeping him, you're, you're probably paying a decent price. If you're going to draft him, you're going to have to pay up to get him. Makes sense. So let's switch our attention to pitchers. Got a couple of pitcher stats that stood out to me when I was looking at steamer. The first one for starting pitchers. And, and this is, and I don't want to say this guy is like the second best starting pitcher per steamer. Cause I don't think that's the right way to view this, especially because they only, he's only projected for 154 innings, but second best FIP third best ERA for a starting pitcher, Spencer Strider. Wow. 
And I know Strider was absolutely terrific this year. I am, you know, the other guys near the top of the leaderboard. So obviously DeGrom is in a world of his own. They they project him for a 2.62 ERA and no one else under 3.02. They project him for a 2.33 FIP and no one else below 2.96. Like he is a, he is so far ahead of everyone else. It is insane and it's totally deserved. But the other guys around Strider are Shane McClanahan, Shohei Otani, Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Tyler Glass now coming off his injury. Framber Valdez, Max Scherzer, Luis Castillo. That's ranked by ERA. If I look at it by FIP, just because I'm sort of curious to see if there's any different names that show up, it's all the same names. Chris Sale then pops up closer on FIP, Alex Cobb. But looking at guys like, I mean, they have him as a pretty clear either number two or number three on a rate basis after DeGrom and sort of tied with McClanahan with guys like Rodon, Burns, Cole, again, even glass. Now Otani Scherzer behind those guys. Are you good with just Spencer Strider as a top three pitcher in baseball? No way. No way. Skill wise. Sure. Like I, you know, on a per inning basis. Absolutely. But this is a guy who down the stretch, I can't remember what the injury was that he dealt with towards the end there. I want to say it was somewhere in his midsection, but then he came back for the playoffs, wasn't quite himself. And I guess it comes back down to the point that like last year was the most innings this dude has pitched in his career period. It was over 130 innings pitched and to take him as a top three starter, then you're not only saying that he's going to bounce back from, from kind of falling apart down the stretch there, be it physically or just mentally or whatever took place, but you're also banking on him increasing his inning pitch total and keeping up those rates while doing it. If you're taking him as a top three starter. So like, if you want to view him like in your dynasty rankings as a top three starting pitcher, I'm not going to fight that. But if you're taking him as a top three pitcher for the 2023 season, I think it's a mistake. I, I understand doing so because skills win out and, and talent wins and, and sure. But what do you really expect? Because there's going to be pitchers going in this range. that are going to be pushing 200 innings and be pushing 180 innings with elite rates, with long track records of success. And you're going to be taking a guy who has at most pitched 130 innings. I, I just find that too risky to take as a top three starter. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just the the top two, three starter things. Like I said, the, the innings pitch, like the projection of innings pitch for him at 154 keeps him out of actually being sort of the second or third most valuable pitcher by the projections. Sure. I just don't know that I'm even ready to say that he's going to be the second or third best pitcher on a per inning basis. I just like, I, it's a, it's a, it's a big leap to take, especially for a guy who really is still sort of a two pitch guy. He is incredible with those two pitches. And I'm not saying that he's going to fall apart. I don't think he's going to be bad. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ready to say that he is a better pitcher, that he's going to put up better rates than guys like Burns or Cole or Rodon or, you know, I don't know, I or Otani for that matter. So we'll see. I, I think it's a little aggressive, but I thought it was interesting. Looking at bullpens, 
So, you know, the, some of the top guys for, for saves, not a huge surprise. Um, Emmanuel Classe, number one projected in saves with 35. Number I'm going to skip over number two for a moment. Number three is Edwin Diaz. Number four, Jordan Romano, Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader to bounce back, David Bednar to be healthy. Got it. The number two guy for saves they have projected is Camilo Duvall. <laughs> what? And I am just like... Like, no, first of all, Duvall, he did get 27 saves this year. So, like, but he has, it seems like projecting him to suddenly jump up to be a, a top two closer. And the reality is with closers, because saves are such a huge part of their value, if you are, if you have the second most saves, there's a good chance you're a top two or three closer. Because it's just hard to make up the value somewhere else. Now, in this case, like he has fewer saves and fewer strikeouts projected than Class A. He's got fewer, more saves, but fewer strikeouts than Edwin Diaz. Diaz probably passes him. He could maybe make a case that Liam Hendricks would pass him, but like you're still looking at him in that sort of top five ish category. And I don't know. That feels like that feels aggressive to me. Where is the where's the whip projected? Uh the whip is projected to be oh wait, I was just looking at it. No, I lost it. 1.28. That's actually pretty bad. That that the, yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is maybe it's unfair to say that he's projected as a number two closer. Because I bet by the time you count account for the fact that like, you know, if you look at the other top closers, his ERA is much higher, 3.34. His whip is a lot higher, 1.28. I mean, there's nobody else that high. I just don't, I don't know. Maybe this is the year that he just completely runs away with that job and the Giants have a better year and he does in fact get up to the mid thirties, maybe even pushes, you know, 35, 40 saves. But like, I don't know. It felt like I just, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not buying 34 saves from him. I think an over under closer to 30 sounds more realistic. I'd be on board with an over-under set at 30. I'd probably take the under. It's nothing against Camilo Duvall. I, I think the Giants are... If we're looking at the two, last two seasons of the San Francisco Giants, they're very different seasons. But I think that the current construction of that roster is better reflected in what they did in 2022 than what they did in 2021. So I, I right off the bat, I don't think it's that great of a team. Duvall is going to have whip issues. If you're just in it to get the saves and you look at the steamer projections and like, sure, I get the the I, the mindset and the thinking that he's a top five closer. But I, I you could make that case of like everything falling right for just about anybody that has the job. Right. If out of spring training, Tanner Houck is the closer for the Red Sox, we could come up with a scenario where he has 35 saves and is a top three closer. Like you can make this case for, for literally anyone. So I find it weird that they've zeroed in on on Doval, who I liked. I, I had him in TGFBI last year and, and I was in on him, but kind of a weird one, especially considering that for as crazy of a position it is, there are a lot of guys who are locked into jobs. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, it's got to be hard to project saves. So I don't know where that number is, sure. is coming from. So those are sort of some of the surprising steamer numbers that we've seen. Wanted to take a look. We mentioned at the beginning we were going to take a look at some of the trades that have already happened in the Keeper Cut Listener Auto New League. And so, uh, Pete, if you let me give me one second, I will link you to this so you can take a look at what I'm looking at. 
then we can talk through these. So I'll read through the eight trades and we can talk about whichever ones you think are interesting to talk about. Just go through a couple of them. The first trade that went down was a $31 Julio Rodriguez and a $2 Kumar Rocker for a $21 Carlos Rodon. Then we had a $4 Mackenzie Gore for a $3 Garrett Crochet. A $27 Seiya Suzuki for a $21 Freddie Peralta. A $17 Yu Darvish for a $4 Yuri Perez. $15 Emmanuel Classe for $13 DJ LeMayhew. A $19 Nolan Arenado and a $24 Joe Musgrove for a $16 Lance McCullers Jr., $6 Yandy Diaz, and $16 Andrew Vaughn. And then the two trades I was involved in, I traded away a $6 Braxton Garrett and a $6 Alex Bohm for a $6 Jake McCarthy and a $10 Trey Mancini. And then I traded away my $30 Giancarlo Stanton for a $4 Ron Z. Contreras and a $6 MJ Melendez. So a bunch of deals there. Any of them jump out at you as, as particularly interesting, worth spending a couple minutes on? Yeah, I, I I don't I don't want this to come across as me firing shots to anybody. I also want to make clear that if you have sent me an offer, I'm really sorry. My, the last two weeks have just been crazy for me at work. So be patient with me on the trade responses. But um, a category, Chad, that I talked about almost every time we, we brought up this league was home runs per nine and how I, I just kind of missed the boat on that. And it really hurt me in the standings last year. And so when I see Freddie Peralta at just 21 bucks, a pitcher who I really like, who, you know, uh, he had a bad start and then he got hurt, but otherwise he looked like Freddie Peralta going for a, a $27 Seiya Suzuki. I mean, that's a, that's a pricey Seiya Suzuki. That's like, it could be cut. <laughs> you know, I think you'd cut him if I had to guess. And I, I'll speak for myself. I think I'd cut a $27 Seiya Suzuki. That one, that one kind of sticks out for me. I'd much rather have the $21 Freddie Peralta, particularly for that home runs per nine category where Basically, over this dude's last like 250 innings pitched, he's giving up less than like eight tenths of a home run every time he every every nine innings. So, I'm I'm kind of in on Freddie Peralta, and I'm not in on Seiya Suzuki. So, I really like that trade for the team that was bringing in Peralta. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Actually, I think Suzuki will be a good value in auctions this year because he was so up and down, and I think. You know, it takes players time to adjust to a new league. And he came out so hot last year and then just fell on his face after that. And so I think he could be a good value, but not at, not at $27. I think, I don't know. I, I expect, to me, the, the tougher, like a $20 Suzuki is a tough call. Above that, it's, it's a little easier for me to move on from him. That said, I'm not quite as excited about Peralta as you are. I think, you know, he was so good in 2021, but the rest of his career has been, you know, ranging from fine to not fine, we'll say. And I'm not sure that like, given his track record of not throwing a ton of innings and given his up and down performance, I don't know that I think $21 is such a good price for him either. So I don't like, I like if I had to pick a side in this deal, you told me you have to take one of these two players. I would rather have Peralta. I think 
but I don't know that I really want either of them at those prices. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a fair way to look at it. If I had to take one, I would take Peralta, but you know, they I could see them both being a cut. I, to me, I'd still, I think, pay the $21 for Peralta just because he does contribute in that cat. There's only four pitching categories. That's one of them. He's also dynamite in strikeouts. And you're right, the rest of his career had been a little shaky. But remember, he he started throwing that slider a ton more in 2021. It made him a whole new man because he went from basically a guy who threw one and a half pitches to a guy who threw two and a half pitches. And that, that's been a pretty reliable pitch for him over the last two seasons. Um, and I, I think that's changed who he is. So a, a change like that, Backed up by the numbers that he's putting on the field, $21 for a pitcher who's going to contribute heavily in at least two of the four categories. I'd much rather him than the Suzuki. Now, we were talking steamer projections, so it's worth noting that the initial surplus calculator, which provides values based on those steamer projections, has Peralta at $9 in 4x4. And that's based on now, steamer has him with a 3.97 ERA, which would be lower than Hitler, not lower worse than his career ERA to date. It also has him posting 9.84 strikeouts per nine, which is a drop from his 2022 and his 2022 was already the lowest number of his career. So there, there's some, you know, there's some reason for optimism above that projection. I would also note that his velocity was down quite a bit last year. And so if they're projecting that velocity is going to continue to trend down, that might have something to do with it. Those same projections, that surplus calculator has Suzuki as a $25 player. That is because Steamer is projecting him to put up a 350 Woba and 465 slugging. He was 336 and 433 last year. They're projecting him to go from 14 home runs to 26. Now, part of that is an extra 150 plate appearances. But 150 plate appearances really only explains about six or seven of those extra 12 home runs. At most. Steamer, Yeah. yeah, Steamer's seeing a pretty big jump from Suzuki and a pretty big fall off from Peralta. I, I I think, I think steamer is optimistic on Suzuki and pessimistic on Peralta. Um, I think their values are closer than that is suggested. And, and like I said, I, I would rather have a $21 than Peralta than a $27 Suzuki, but I don't really want either of them. A $9 Peralta. Like, Oh my, can I have a $9 Freddy Peralta in all of my new leagues, please? That would be amazing. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see where other projections are. I mean, one thing that happens is we, like, at least for me, because I like projections, I tend to over-index on Steamer when it first comes out. And then Zips comes out, and you get Pakoda, and you get everything else. And, like, we'll have to see what, what happens as others come out. But that's, that's where we are right now. Any of those other trades you want to talk about? thought one might be interesting to you uh because it's well you're good at separating your fandom from your fantasy play but emmanuel Classe to me was the best reliever in baseball last year but relievers just don't really i don't want to say they don't matter they definitely matter but they're not as important in this format 15 dollars for one feels like a lot and i'm a big dj lemayhew fan and I, i'm still going to be in on him even though 13 dollars for what he went for in this this league feels kind of expensive so what were your thoughts there in classa for lemayhew yeah i i think this trade is fine i personally don't carry 15 dollar relievers in 4x4 i'll sometimes trade for them in season when i can get a loan if i need that you know if i think they can help me beat i will say for class a as compared to other elite 
15 plus dollar relievers in this format. He does not provide the strikeouts that like, you know, Hater traditionally would, that Edwin Diaz does for sure, that Araldus Chapman has historically, although doesn't really anymore. But he has now posted over his last two seasons, 2021, 2022, over 104, more than 140 innings between those two seasons. His ERAs were 1.29 and 1.36. His whips were 0.96 and 0.73. His home run per nine was 0.258 and then went up to 0.372. Like he keeps the ball on the ground. He does not give up hits. He does not give up walks. His ERA is minuscule. Like from a rates perspective, he is going to give you 70 ish innings of just absolutely elite rates. And so from that perspective, I think like there aren't a lot of pitchers, there aren't a lot of relievers worth that much. He's one of them. And LeMahieu I like as well, but I also think like at $13, that seems fine. I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, do you think he's worth a whole lot more than that $13? I see in this format, I don't know if I don't, his ceiling is not going to be that much higher than 13. Uh, like the on base percentage is going to be awesome. I don't know. He's not really going to slug for much. He's not going to hit for a lot of, he just hits the ball on the ground too much to hit for as much power as he did a couple of years ago when he cracked, I think it was like 26 homers. So his ceiling is a little bit limited. I'm just a fan of the player. And I, I think he definitely contribute if he stays in the field and in, in runs and on base percentage. So kind of a, t- just a two category guy. Yeah. I, I like them, but I like both these guys. I, I don't think either of those it's sort of the, again, personally, I don't carry relievers at that price, but if I did carry relievers at that price, class, a would be the guy would be a guy to be comfortable with. And so it's almost like the, it's a very similar story for me to the last trade we talked about, but sort of the other side of the, the dividing line where like, I sort of want both of those guys at those prices and I'd be sort of fine with either of them. But I don't think either one of them is so much better a value than the other that this feels like a lopsided deal. I, I sort of like it. Again, if it were me, I just I just wouldn't carry that class A just because that's not how I build my rosters in four by four. Yeah, that makes total sense. So we've gone through those two. We've gone through a bunch of surprising steamer projections, and we're past the hour mark. So I think it's time to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys have a, a good couple of weeks. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews. Follow us on Twitter as long as Twitter still exists. Follow us on Twitter at Keeper Cut. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. I'll also mention I put up a couple of articles on Fangraphs this week about auto new arbitration. Just looking at some of the data popping out of that. Check those out if you have questions about them or any any questions about auto new arbitration you'd like me to answer. Hit us up. Let us know. We can still talk about that some more as the offseason goes on. With that, enjoy your turkey, enjoy your pie, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.